come tonight quickly uh, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. I'll just read a couple of verses together. Not planning on keeping you long tonight. It's warm, it's sunny. Still time to grow for your ice cream, Raymond. Isn't that right? <laughs> All right, Mark chapter 8. Reading from verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Profit and loss, trade and exchange. These are terms that we're familiar with when it comes to the world of commerce, of business, of the merchant, and we imagine, I suppose, captains of industry, heads of companies, CEOs, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and the like. However, when it comes to the matters of the soul, Jesus is very clearly stating here and implying that every man, that every single one of us has got the opportunity to barter, to exchange, to experience either profit or loss. You and I possess something of infinite worth, our soul. See, it's Spurgeon said, the soul is worth more than 10,000 worlds. It's incalculable how much the human soul is worth. It's worth an awful lot to God. God loves your soul so much that He gave His only Son to come and die for it. And so, we can lose our soul. We can squander its incredible resources. We can waste its riches. We can bankrupt its reserves. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, no man has actually gained the whole world. Some have come pretty close to it. Alexander the Great probably came closer to it than anybody that ever lived. At age 20, he took to the throne. And in a few short years, he had conquered all of Persia and Babylon and Egypt. And by the time he was 30 years old, he was the most powerful leader in the whole world with the most powerful army in the whole world. And at 32 years old, he died a broken man, weeping that he had conquered the world, and there was no more worlds to conquer. 
And at 32 years old, he died a miserable, broken, dejected man. Egypt has had its pharaohs. Rome has had its emperors. Germany has had its Fuhrer. China has had its chairman. Russia has had their czars. Soviet Union has had their comrades. But where are all these men today that strode the world like a colossus? Where are they today? Gone. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, there are men today and women who have immense wealth and riches. Not that there's anything wrong with that per se. It's not a sin to be wealthy. Money is neutral. It's what you do with it. That will show its worth to you and show your worth. Forbes Fortune 500 magazine and the Times rich list shows all the leading contenders every year for the world's richest men. For many, many years, of course, Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, was the world's richest man. His personal income is more than many small nations has as their whole economy. <laughs> Figures like that we just cannot begin to fathom. The Sultan of Brunei is currently the world's richest man. But even he and Bill Gates together do not own everything. They don't have all the riches. They don't have all the wealth. Even if they owned every gold mine and silver mine, even they owned every diamond mine on earth and every oil well on earth, they still would not own everything. And even if they did own it all, it could not buy their soul. What shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Fame and fortune is such a fickle thing, isn't it? It can be here today, it can be gone tomorrow. The list is endless of those who have scaled the heights and have crashed and burned when they did so. Celebrities, movie stars, sports personalities, entertainers. I was reading just the other day where one of the Rolling Stones said that he has blown 20 million pounds on drink and drugs alone. <coughs> And I read that and I shook my head and I said, I can't get my head around that. How could you do, how could you lose 20 million pounds in drink and drugs alone? But there you have it. Charlemans, the, or Charles the Great, as he was otherwise known, King of the Franks, he became emperor of Western Europe, which was Christianized by then. And he built palaces and churches everywhere. He promoted Christianity throughout his whole empire, as well as the arts and education and agriculture and manufacturing and commerce and many other things. And he gave instructions that at his death, that he should be buried seated on a throne with a royal crown upon his head and a sword by his side and the gospels placed open on his lap. And they did so. 180 years later, 
when they dug up his tomb and they found his skeleton sitting there on the throne with the crown still on his head and the sword still by his side and the gospel still lying on his bony skeleton. And his finger was pointing to the scripture, which is our text tonight. What should it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Solomon, who was the wealthiest man in all of the East, he owned vast revenues of resources. Gold from Ophir and Tarshish filled his royal coffers. He built a great temple unto God that took seven and a half years to complete. He built his own palace that took 13 years to construct and complete. Whenever the Queen of Sheba came to visit him, who was fabulously wealthy in her own right, but when she saw all that Solomon had, and she saw all the wisdom that God had given him, and when she saw the way by which he ascended up into the house of the Lord, the Bible says there was no more spirit within her. She was breathless. It literally took her breath away. Such was the scene that met her. And yet, at the end of his life, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. In fact, he wrote three books. He wrote Song of Solomon, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. One writer said that early on in his life, as a young man, he wrote Song of Solomon, which spoke of romance. Then in his middle years, he wrote the book of Proverbs, which speaks of rules. And at the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which speaks of regrets. And he had much to regret. Because unfortunately, though God gave him fantastic wisdom, he didn't use it very well at times. He didn't take his own advice very often. And at the end of it, when he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, after he had everything that his heart could desire, including hundreds and hundreds and literally hundreds of wives and concubines, including untold wealth, including unbelievable wisdom. What more could a human being want? And yet at the end of it all, you know what he said? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, says the preacher. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's futile. That literally means it's like trying to catch the wind. By the time he got to the end of his life, he had everything, and he felt he had nothing. When he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, over and over again, you'll see the phrase, under the sun. He sees things under the sun from a purely earthly perspective. The book of Proverbs is above the sun, seeing things from a heavenly perspective. But the book of Ecclesiastes sees it from an earthly perspective. You know what he says? It's all nothing. It's like trying to catch the wind. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What should a man give in exchange for his soul? 
What are you going to put in the balance to weigh the two? What would be equal to it? Nothing. Jesus tells us that the soul is of infinite worth. Let me ask you a question. Would you sell one of your body parts? Now, before you think that's a daft question, there's people around the world today who are selling their body parts. People in very poor places in dire straits like India and Africa and even in Russia. Other parts of the world are selling kidneys. Different parts of their body they're selling just to make it in life. Sometimes they're not getting much for it. But it's either that or die of starvation. But what about you? Would you sell a body part? What about your right arm? Would you sell it for a million? What about your two eyes? Would you sell that for two million? A million apiece? Would that be enough? Well, for us, I don't think so. I don't think we'd ever envisage selling a body part. Sure we wouldn't. And that's only the perishable parts. That's only the house the soul lives in. But your soul is eternal. It will live throughout the countless ages. Without the soul, the body, the perishable part will simply return to dust. But the soul will live forever. It is of infinite worth. It is something that is unique to you. Nobody else has got your soul. And God paid an incredible price for your soul and my soul. Jesus tells us that the soul can be lost. It can never die, but it can be lost. It will live forever but it can be lost. It will never cease to be, but it can be lost. Lost forever, lost eternally. What a terrible, frightening, hopeless word is lost for all time. This is why the gospel is so important. This is why we must preach it and we must share it. Because there's a word out there And most of them doesn't even know they're lost. And they're lost for all time and all eternity unless and until they come to Christ. That's how important your soul is. What does it mean? What does Christ mean by lost? There comes a point in every man or woman's life and usually it's at death when the soul becomes irretrievably, irredeemably lost, when the Rubicon is crossed, when no man can save, and no preacher can preach anymore, and no mother's prayer can avail anymore, and no intercessory prayer is going to work anymore, and no sermon will do it anymore, there comes a point when the soul is forever lost. Physical death, isn't it, when the soul is separated from the body. Those of us who have watched a loved one dying, 
remember that moment. We'll never forget it. Something left at that moment, in that second, didn't it? Something left. The light had gone. And we knew at that moment that the soul and the spirit had left the body. Spiritual death is when the soul is separated from God. Again, that's why we must share the gospel, because men are spiritually dead and trespasses and sins the way that we were once. And had to be made alive in Christ again, didn't we? Eternal death is when both the soul and the body is separated from God forever, eternally. The book of Revelation chapter 20, probably one of the most solemn portions of Scripture in the whole Bible. Revelation 20, reading from verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The, dead gave up, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So when Jesus talked about being lost, that is the ultimate meaning of what he said right there. Of Revelation 20. Now Jesus tells us that right now, in a sense, on a stress, in a sense, you own your own soul. Ultimately, of course, it belongs to God. All souls are mine, God says, ultimately. But in a sense, right now, you possess your own soul. This side of eternity you're the possessor. You're the one that's got responsibility and accountability for your soul. You can trade it. You can barter it. You can sell it. You can lose it. It's our responsibility. What we're going to do with it. The book of Hebrews tells us about Esau that Old Testament character. And over there in chapter 12, it says this, verse 15, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, person with no respect for the things of God, 
irreverent, completely careless about eternal things. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, the birthright was more than just becoming head of the family. It's more than just the firstborn eventually being come head of the family and with all the double portion of blessing that that entails, both financially and material in every way. It actually had a big spiritual connotation because whoever was the head of the house was the priest of that house. They were the ones that should have been the most spiritual. They were the ones that should have been the most godly. They were the ones that was to rack the things for God within that whole family. Esau despised that. He didn't see his birthright as anything that important because he had no thought or no view for the things of God, not that his brother had. And so he traded it for a bowl of soup, for a bowl of lentils. That's how little it meant to him. And so it's very important that we realize that our souls are precious in the sight of God. And God made us to worship Him and to serve Him and to love Him. And we cannot and we dare not ever trade that for anything else. And if we do, then we have missed the whole purpose and the whole reason for being on earth. I mean, that is it in a nutshell. book of Joshua chapter 7 tells us how that whenever God said that Jericho would be taken and that all the silver and the gold and all the precious things that were in Jericho, that they were to take that and they were to burn everything else, but they were to take that into the treasuries of God. That's what they were to do. And God would give them great victory in Jericho. And He did. And they had a wonderful victory. So after that wonderful victory, the next little city was Ai. And so they looked at that and they thought, well, it's not like Jericho, it's not a walled city. And we've won such a resounding victory here, we'll just send a small party of just 3,000 out and that'll do us and we'll just soon be past Ai and moving on into the promised land. And of course, when they got there, they discovered that God wasn't with them. And if I could put it in the vernacular, they got a good hiding. <laughs> they really did. They got chased out of town. Some of them lost their lives. So Joshua, he goes and he cries unto God and he throws himself down on the floor and he says, God, have you brought us out here to destroy us? God, what has went wrong? What, what are you doing here? I can't understand this. God says, get up. That's what you read down. Just get up, God says. What are you lying there for? Get up. He says, I told you not to touch the accursed thing. This city's cursed. I told you not to take anything for yourself out of it. It's accursed. So he realized then that somebody had taken something. So he got the clans together. Cut a long story short, they found this man, Achan. He said, did you take something? He says, yes, I did. Saw the beautiful Babylonish garment. Saw the 200 shekels of silver. Saw the great wedge of gold. And I took it and I hid it in my tent. 
he traded his very soul. He traded his place before God for a Babylonian garment, for some silver and some gold. It cost him his life and his whole family and his whole livestock. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In Acts chapter 24, we'll close with this tonight. <clears throat> I told you I wouldn't keep you long tonight. Acts chapter 24. Apostle Paul, once again being falsely accused by his enemies, is brought before Felix. He was a governor who, by the way, was a wicked man, cruel, wicked individual. He had married a Jewish wife. So he was quite familiar with this new sect that was counted as a sect of the Jewish people. Called them of the way, the people of the way. Then Paul, after, this is verse 10 of Acts 24, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers. Believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. Now after many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They, sought, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they have found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So he's kind of put under house arrest for a while. Although he's allowed people to come in and out. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered. Now, when it says Felix was afraid, I'm reading from the New King James it's much stronger than that in the original. It says he was terrified. His knees were trembling 
His knees were literally knocking. When Paul began to preach of righteousness and of judgment and all that was to come, it absolutely shook him to the core. His soul was moved. This deeply touched this man, so much so that he was shaking in his boots. There's not much preaching like that these days, is there? Where world leaders would be shaking in their boots. And so, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. And when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. This was his one big opportunity to stand before God and repent and realize his very soul was at stake. You can be sure that Paul made the way of salvation absolutely clear to this man. There was no question about it. He didn't mince his words. He didn't dance around it. He was absolutely clear. We don't have all his message here, but you can be sure Paul wouldn't miss an opportunity like this. She says, go your way for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, and this just shows you the other side of this man. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. He knew that Paul was a big shot in the church, this new sack that had sprung up all over the country. He knew that Paul was one of the leading lights, would have a lot of friends within the Christian circles. He knew this. So he thought, well, if we keep holding him, he, you know, he, he, he'll want to get away. He'll want to go and do his thing, and, and he'll call his friends, and he'll, he'll, make, you know, he'll get some kind of a collection together to bribe me. This is what he was thinking. So here's this man. He's shaking in his boots. His soul is mightily touched by God. He's spoken to deeply like he'd never been before, and yet, in spite of all of that, he's thinking about how can I make money out of this? What shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Proceus Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul by. Do you know what? When he said those words, go for now, and when there's a more convenient season, I will call for you. There never was another moment like that in his life. Even though he met Paul several times after that. But that moment, at that time, when his soul was so shaken that he was physically shaken in his shoes, he let that moment pass. And he got his eyes on what he could get out of the moment. And there never, ever, ever was again another convenient moment. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I told you this before, but I'll tell you it again in closing. In, in my job, as it were, obviously... I get many, many, many calls to people in the hospital, to people in deathbeds over the years. I've lost count of it. 
and, and sometimes you can lead them to Christ and, and they're ready and they want to and they, 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 just, they just want you to pray with them. They just want you to lead them to Christ and it's wonderful. But I've had the other side. I remember, I remember staying up all night with a couple and the man's dad was dying uh, and we sat up all night in the hospital and his, his life was slipping away. You could see it. And his son said to me, he says, Pastor, my dad's not saved. Please, share the gospel. Please, please, share the gospel. And I shared that gospel with that man that night. And it got to the place and I said, Sir, I said, would you like to pray this prayer? And at that moment, and he was as close as that to look at. To look at, he was as close as that. And at that moment, when I said, would you like to pray this prayer? Thinking at that moment, genuinely thinking at that moment that he was ready and wanted to pray that prayer. You know what he said? He looked up at his son. I'm sitting there. He looked up and he smiled at him and he said, I nearly had him there, didn't I, son? <laughs> I nearly had him there. In other words, I nearly blocked him. That was, that, was, that was the last words that man ever spoke to me. Within minutes, I had left that hospital bed and I drove home and I, I couldn't get those words out of my mind. And that man died, it was an hour later, two hours later, that man died that morning. And that was the last words he ever spoke to me. I nearly got him there. What a way to go into eternity. Losing your own soul. You say, I, I didn't know that somebody could be as hard as that. Yes, they can. Christopher Hitchens, the, one of the new breed of atheists today, living in America, he's dying of cancer. Christians all over America praying for me, praying for him. He says, don't bother. He says, I'm not going to recant my atheism. In fact, it's in his throat and he can't speak anymore. And one of the last things he said before he could speak, he says, I will die an atheist. He says, I will die an atheist. He says, I will never, ever, ever believe that. I will die an atheist. And he probably will. And he'll lose his own soul. That's a tragedy, isn't it? And Christopher Hitchin is one of those that Christ died for. That God loved his soul so much he sent his son to die for him. But yet he'll refuse him. Like many others will. Let not us refuse him. I could assume, and I may presume, that everyone tonight listening to me is a believer, a genuine believer in Christ. But I don't know. God knows, but I don't know. But you know. And God knows. Do not lose your soul. Because you will have all eternity to regret it. And that's the tragedy. That's a strong message tonight, isn't it? Sometimes we need to hear that. Because we have loved ones, we have friends, we have neighbors, we have family members whose souls are lost tonight. They're going to a Christless eternity. 
if we don't get saved. And sometimes it takes something to waken us up, to do something. Say, I'd be embarrassed to talk to them. We're going to hell. We're going to the lake of fire. Get over your embarrassment. Talk to them. Please talk to them. They can only say yes or no. What have you got to lose? They've got their soul to lose. So talk to them. Pray for them. Share with them a word in season. It doesn't mean you have to twist their arm up the back or beat them over the head. But it means you share. You let them know your concern. When I led my dad to the Lord, I, I said to him, I says, Dad, I was going away overseas for weeks to, 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 to America. I said, Dad, I'm going away. I'm really, really, really concerned about your soul. He was physically weak. His body was weak. I was concerned about that. And I told him, but I said, I'm more concerned about your soul. You're not saved. And I says, you know how to get saved. Mother's sitting there and says, tell him again. Father was very deaf. says, tell him again. And I told him again. And I asked him again. And that night he says, yes. And he got on our knees in that wee pensioner's bungalow. And Molly Claire, three of us, we prayed that prayer. I buried them two years later. And by that time he had read the Bible through cover to cover. Tell them. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. Can't be done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight that because of what Christ has done for us at Calvary, that none need be lost. That you love the whole world. Lord, that includes every family member that we have got, every work friend, every neighbor, every one that becomes an acquaintance. Lord, help us to reach out and win people for Christ. So that as much as lies within us, that we will have tried to reach men and women for Jesus and for his sake. Thank you, Lord, for saving us tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we can say tonight that we know you, that you know us, that we have repented, we have bent the knee, and we have said yes to Christ. And Lord, if that is not the case for everyone tonight, I pray that it will be. And that no man or no woman or no boy or no girl will leave this house tonight without accepting Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, this is so important. 
all eternity. Our eternity depends upon it. So Lord, put this deep in our hearts tonight. Even for our families and loved ones. That not one be lost. For the glory of God. In Jesus' name.